Good morning. Was that opening song a new one for anybody? That was new for me, and I enjoyed it. It was good. It was really good. Yeah, when Tim prays, speak in a mighty and powerful way. That's, that's heavy. No pressure. Have you ever met anybody in person who you probably knew from a distance, maybe someone famous, or and they weren't what you thought they were going to be? Has anybody had that experience? I, I have. This fall, um, we went to a conference, and there's an author and a radio host and a podcast guy who led the conference. And I saw him in the hallway. I'm like, like, is that the guy? I thought, and I went over to him. I said, hey, you don't know me. I said, but you and I, we've been going on walks for years now. Because I listened to him. I feel, like, I feel like I know you. But, you know, I'd seen pictures on the back of books he's written or other places. I thought, but you look a little bit shorter than I imagined you. I didn't say that, but I thought it. And you seem older than the picture on the back of your book, which was written 20 years ago or whatever. And I'm like, but I didn't say that. <laughs> but I don't wonder. When people saw Jesus and they said, we're looking for somebody. And they look at him and they're like, are you who we're looking for? Are, are you that guy? Because I was imagining something different. And yet some people saw it. And my hope today, by the time I'm finished, is that you will see it. You will see Jesus as the one who satisfies your soul. And you're right. This season is brought up this morning. We have opportunity to share Jesus with people this season. So let's don't miss that opportunity. Go into in your, in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9. Last week, we see, uh, saw Jesus healing the demon-possessed man, and people saying, whoa, and I like the way that uh, Nathan phrased it. He just upset our status quo. We like the things the way they are. Can you just leave now? So in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus gets in a boat. He crosses over, and he comes to his own city, which would be the city of Capernaum. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background before I begin. Maybe you can help me out a little bit. Can we hit the advance button there up top? Okay, whenever it advances, I'll just talk. They can advance when they got it. I want you to know in the background a couple things. Number one. At this time, Palestine was under Roman authority. Can you, for a moment, just put yourself in a mindset of having a foreign nation occupying our city, policing our streets, collecting our earned income? I think it would be bend us out of shape just a little bit. If someone from a... We get upset when our own country takes our money. 
when a foreign nation comes and takes it? Yeah, we're upset. They were looking for Messiah, someone who would come and set things straight. And at this time, historically speaking, there was a little bit of a Messiah frenzy. People were looking for someone to come and set things right. Because how it was, was not the way it was supposed to be. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene. And he says, repent, the kingdom is at hand. He said, this is soon. And people are listening to this. They're saying, is it time? Like, we're waiting. We want someone to come. We're looking for you. And then this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he goes out and he teaches things that nobody's heard things like this. This is not kingdom of the world stuff. And we spent time going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is not kingdom of the world. This is kingdom of heaven stuff. And people are like, we want in. And this is small. I know I'm just going to read it. You can turn. But I want to say, be aware of this. This is what it's going to look like when Messiah comes. And I pulled this from Isaiah 35. But listen, when Messiah comes... When someone's coming to straighten things out, here's what it's going to be like. Isaiah says, strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. You know what the occupying people say when they hear this? That's right, vengeance. He will, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And here's a pertinent part to today. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man shall leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, in the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And I especially want to focus on that. The eyes of the blind open, the ears unstopped, the lame shall leap. When they see these things, it's a validation of what Jesus is doing. If I do this, I am who I say I am. So we're going to begin in Matthew 9 here. Jesus heals a paralytic. The lame man will leap. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, Capernaum. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man's blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Then he rose and went home. And the crowd saw it. They were afraid. 
And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. I want to bring out a few things in the passage. First one is this. Did you notice who had the faith? Look, it says, when Jesus saw their, in the plural, their faith. Whose? It's the friends. It's the people who brought the paralytic man to Jesus. And as I look in this room, were any of you brought to Jesus by somebody else? Can you in your mind say, somebody brought me, they saw my need, they brought me to Jesus. And it may be a parent, maybe a friend. Could have been a stranger speaking up front, like I'm doing right now. But I'm going to say, all of us at some point, we were brought to Jesus. And I love this morning as we prayed. We even said, look, this season, you can bring somebody else to Jesus. And the same guy I listened to for years, every Christmas he says this. This is the one time a year people actually expect you to say something about Jesus. Don't miss that opportunity. Like, this is your chance. Put it on a card. Say something about who Jesus is. It's in the air. And who knows how long we still have that opportunity. We see it being squeezed. But bring your friends. Bring the hurting. Bring them to Jesus. And look what he says. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And the more I thought about this, I thought about the man laying there I don't think he came to have his sins forgiven. His friends brought him because he couldn't walk. And I just sort of imagine him laying out there on his bed. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I imagine him kind of looking down at his legs and saying, thank you, but this, this is my problem, right? My legs don't work. I can't walk. I'm lame. I thought it's almost like going to the doctor and the doctor says, don't worry, I've taken care of your electric bill. Like, That's not what I wanted. I wanted you to fix my problem. And most of us, when we come to God in some way, we're saying, can you just fix my problem? And as I think about it, it's kind of like three things I think we have problems with. In most of our life, we can put in these categories. I think we have economic problems, like our finances, I need more money or whatever, my job. We got financial problems. We have health problems. My body's breaking down. It happens. And we have like relationship problems. So money, health, relationships. I think most of our problems get put in those categories. And I think oftentimes we come to Jesus and we say, can you fix it? Can you fix my problem? But I think here, Jesus goes right to the issue. The problem's not the out there, the stuff. The problem's this. It's your sin. And I think we have to ask the question, what's our problem? Like, what's the thing? 
skip one more. We have to change our focus and realize the stuff on the outside, it's going to come and go. Money problems, they're going to come, they're going to go. That's just life. Health issues, eventually we're all going to have them, aren't we? We're not going to be healthy forever. Let's just realize that. And relationships, unfortunately, is broken people dealing with broken people. Guess what you get? Broken relationships. Those aren't the issue. They're issues. Don't get me wrong. They're issues. They're real. But the primary thing is this. is the sin on the inside. And that's right where Jesus goes. Take heart. I'm not going to fix your health right now, although he is. He says, but look, your sins, that's the thing. And I think this statement's incredible. I just love the wisdom of Jesus. He says, what's easier to do? And he goes right to the Pharisees, like, this man's blasphemy. You can't say your sins are forgiven. Who do you think you are? Like, only God forgives sins. If you want to figure out what Jesus is trying to say, look to the Pharisees. They'll give you the clue. Who do you think you are? He goes, you think you're God? Let me show you something. And he says, what's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? So I'll tell you what, you guys, you can't do either. You can say your for- sins are forgiven. You're right, that's a harder thing to accomplish. But you don't see it, do you? If he says rise up and walk, and the man still lays there, game over, go home. You're not who you say you are. But if the man stands up and walks, you better take him seriously. You better look back to Isaiah, the lame walking. And we're going to see the blind, have their eyes restored. We're going to see these things. And he says, this is my point. To show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Look, if I can do the lesser thing and you see it, will you believe I can do the greater thing? And in your life, if you've seen the miraculous and God can do the lesser thing, can he do the greater thing? The answer is yes. He can do the greater thing. And the more I thought about this, I think here's the big thing. He can cause a lame man to stand up. And that's evidence that he has healed his leg. Is there evidence that he has the authority to forgive sin? Did we see anything that would show that Jesus can forgive sins? Tell you what, a lame man stood up and walked. What would you think if a dead man rose up out of the grave? Is that evidence enough that he is who he says he is? It is. It's enough. He has authority and the power to lift the dead legs. And someday we're going to see the resurrection of our bodies. We're going to have new healed bodies. And yes, Jesus has the authority. He is who he says he is.
Let's see if my guys can just bump me forward there. Okay, moving on to the next passage. Jesus calls Matthew. Three sections today. And as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. I thought if there was ever a loaded sentence in the Bible, like this is it. To us, the tax booth has little meaning other than we don't like getting our W-2s each spring. But like I said, to have an occupying army collecting money by force. And Matthew's the guy sitting in his tax booth. And Jesus goes to him. Let's see. If, oh, there we go. I'm going to come back to that. Okay, and I want you to think who this guy Matthew is. A tax collector. As such, he's an enemy to his people. He would have been perceived as a traitor. He's working for the enemy. He's an extortioner. I mean, the way it works is the Romans would give authority to a local person to collect their taxes. Anything you collected above the allotted amount, that was yours to keep. So you kind of got to squeeze guys for a little bit of extra money to put in your own pocket. So Matthew, he's a traitor to his nation. He's an extortioner toward the people in his own neighborhood. A social outcast. And this is the guy Jesus goes to to start his movement? If I'm looking to get people to receive my message, this is the last guy I'm going to. He's at the very bottom, bottom, bottom of my list. I was thinking he's almost like kind of the mafia thug who's squeezing the local neighborhood to get money. Like, we hate this guy. We hate him. And Jesus calls him. And I wonder why. And it just reminded me of Corinthians. Um, he says, here's who I call. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not come, to bring to nothing the things that are. And here's a key phrase, that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So that's who he chooses. The weak, the lowly, the unlikely. And I'm amazed, not only that Jesus called Matthew, but I'm amazed that Matthew responded. I thought, what did Matthew see in this guy? Matthew was standing behind a Roman thug, squeezing the money out of his local people. So he's got money, he's got power. The things that got him to where he is. And Jesus has none of that. He's more or less itinerant. He's homeless. He's a traveling preacher. What does Matthew see in that? He's poor. He says, 
Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I don't even have a place to lay my head down. He doesn't use force. He doesn't use power. The things that Matthew is used to, Jesus doesn't do it that way. What does he see? It just made me think about Peter when Jesus asked him, who do you say I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this. He says, my father revealed this. That's why you see it. And I think Matthew, same thing. For us to see the beauty in who Jesus is, it has to be revealed. God has to show you something that you look at and say, everything else I have, I don't need it. But this, this lasts. This is real. So he follows him. I think about Thomas at the end of uh, John's gospel. It looks like the whole thing's just broken. Their image of what their kingdom was going to be, Thomas says, I won't believe unless I see it. Unless I can put my finger into his hand, into his side, and he sees him, and he falls down. and says, my Lord and my God, he saw it. My hope for you today is that you see it. I couldn't help throw this one up. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German uh, pastor during the, the Third Reich, the Nazi reign in Germany, pushed back and said, no, we will not. But he said in his book, um, The Cost of Discipleship, it says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He says, setting aside everything that you hold valuable, your life included. He says, give it up and follow me. And I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It is worth it. In our next scene, we find Jesus eating with Matthew's friends. Not polite society. Not the kind of friends you would encourage your kids to go hang out with. Verse 10, as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and, and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's he doing with those guys? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Can you imagine the so-called kind of stuffy religious Pharisee? Now, if we were to put them into our modern culture, I think we could visualize who this is. The person who would, well, I never. Your kids are hanging out with who? And Jesus says, these are the people who know they're broken. And I love this phrase. He says, go and learn what this means. They knew the scripture. They probably read this 300 times. I kind of joke. 
this is like saying to a constitutional lawyer, maybe you ought to read the First Amendment. Okay, I know what the First Amendment says if you're an attorney. I, I study law, especially if I'm a constitutional attorney. I get it. These guys know this. And it's almost kind of this backhand insult, like, you ever read the scripture? Yeah, you read it, but you don't know what it means. You missed the point. I remember talking to um, someone here, and they're kind of walking through some difficult things with some friends. And they said, you know what? When you get involved in people's lives, you get messy. Things get a little bit dirty, a little bit mucky. Your feet get in the mud. And at some point, I think the church, we've kind of built a wall around ourselves. And like, this is the in, and we don't want to go into the out because it's messy, and it's kind of dirty, and it's kind of sticky, and it's kind of gross. But I think that's where the hurting people find Jesus, is when we go out and we rub shoulders with them. And this is almost, a, any of these sections could just be a message unto itself, but there's a balance there. I'm not saying go out and become the world. I'm not saying you have to go out and embrace everything you see to become involved in people's lives. But if we don't rub shoulders with people, we're just keeping this little thing we have here and it just kind of gets here and it just kind of gets small. We've got to go out and meet our neighbors. I'm as bad as anybody. I say hello. We kind of stop there. People we work with, do we go beyond, hey, Friday, did you enjoy our weekend? See you on Monday. Do we rub shoulders or do we share the good news that we have? There's a real balance here. You know, this, um, this was taken from Hosea, the passage. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And I thought it was so fitting that we had just gone through the minor prophets. And one of the things that stood out in the minor prophets is they're speaking to God's people. He's saying, look, you're doing the thing. You bring in sacrifices, but your heart, it's in the wrong spot. You know, I really loved Malachi when he said, oh, that someone would just shut the door. Because I wish you would just stop bringing your sacrifices. They stink. Because your heart stinks. And then the other side of it, like, he wants our heart. But we just heard a few weeks ago when in Matthew, like, those who hear and do, those are the blessed. So it's both. We need to have hearts that go out and do the thing. We also need to have actions that manifest what we believe. If we say it and we don't do it, that's not good either. He's saying you need to be right, but your heart needs to be right. It's a, it's a both. It's not an either or. So yes, we do need to do the things. Bringing sacrifice. That's good. But if that's all it is, it's not what he's after. 
I have one more section here, fasting in the kingdom. And again, John's disciples, they came to him and they said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So again, the question of doing like, look, we're, we're doing the thing. We're fasting. We're supposed to, right? But your disciples, they're not fasting. They're not doing the thing that we're doing. And Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them? Do you know who the bridegroom is? Do you know who he's talking about? He's saying, this is like we're at a wedding and I'm the guest. If you had friends over for your house, to your house, and they're expecting lunch, would you say, oh, sorry, we're, we're fasting this weekend. Well, why'd you invite me? This is the time for, bring out the good stuff. It's time for a celebration. If you were at a wedding, like he's saying here, would you say, oh, sorry, we know that you're the guest of honor, but sorry, we're not eating. There'll be no fun at this wedding. No. When the king is in your presence, he says, do you know who I am? And again, like fasting could be a topic unto itself. But the point is this. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. He says, I'm not going to be here forever. He says, but now, this is a time to celebrate. There's a time when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Then they will fast. That's a later. And here I think is a point. And what I want you to take away from today. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. We can kind of imagine that. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins will burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. So I think the picture is this. There's kind of an old way of doing things. And there's something new. And Jesus is saying, this kingdom, this is something new. And it doesn't fit into what you have constructed here. This is something altogether different. When you put the new into something old, it breaks. And I think sometimes when we come to, when we come to Christ, we try and take our old self and we try just to squeeze it into something new. Like, you know, I'll be who I used to be, but I'll do it a little bit differently. I'll add some Jesus to it. And I think what Jesus is saying here and what we need to hear today when we look at the kingdom of heaven and we see it and we're like, that's what my soul needs. That meets the needs of what I want, what's going to satisfy. It's something altogether new, something altogether better. And we don't need to go back to something different. We don't need to go back to who we used to be when we find this life and who Jesus is. So I'm going to pray. 
I'm going to close there. I just want to give you a moment. Maybe look back over the passage here or just reflect in your mind. What's one thing you want to walk away with today? What's one thing that you need to hear that God spoke from his word? And this week, take some time. Come back to it. Visit it. Think about how it fits. So Lord, we want to just thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the time that we've had here together that we can have this open in front of us. We just want to pray and just consider your kingdom greater than the kingdom of this world. And just as we see it, we can, we just leave everything else behind and feel no loss at doing so. I just want to pray that each of us here this week has something that you spoke in some way that meant something to each of us. That we keep it, we hang on to it, we go forward with it. And then you change us with who you are. And so we just give this over to your care and for, for your glory. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.